Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you celebrating this time as we ramp up to the celebration of Jesus's arrival, uh, to be celebrating that with you. I actually was ministering for 40 years in Connecticut, but I am from New Jersey. I grew up there. Um, <laughs> turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, please. We're going to look at verses 18 through 25 as we look at the second installment of the once and future king, focusing on Jesus and his mission. If I could have the next slide, please, that picture. This is a, uh, a painting representing this part of the narrative where Joseph realizes that his fiance is pregnant. He knows it's not his baby. He is a righteous man and wants to divorce her uh, without making a big fuss about it and, and embarrassing her. Um, there is the slight possibility he could call for her to be stoned because of her indiscretion. And a angel comes to him in a dream and explains what's really happening. This is the beginning of something absolutely new and special. So Matthew chapter 18 excuse me, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. Now, that word birth there is actually the word genesis. So this is the genesis of Jesus. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. She had, when she first heard the announcement from the angel, she went and spent three months with her aunt Elizabeth. She's about four months pregnant now, so she's found to be pregnant. She has the appearance. Joseph knows this is not his baby. Because Joseph, her husband, now you're called husband once you are betrothed in first century Judaism. It's not like our engagements. You can't just take a ring off in a fit of anger and throw it at somebody and the engagement is off. There have been uh, bride prices and dowries that have been paid. All kind of promises have been exchanged. So your husband and wife, even before the wedding, the only way to break this is with a divorce, a legal ceremony. So because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He wasn't going to marry someone who had done this. He's faithful to the law, but he didn't want to embarrass her. This is a loving, caring man. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's going to go through the ceremony, but he's not going to make a big deal about it. He doesn't want to embarrass her. You imagine the, the frustration and the, the angst that he's going through at, before he falls asleep this night when he has this dream. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. So we see that lineage that was talked about last week. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. So that's our first name that we see here. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
This is the prophet Isaiah, about 734, 735 years prior to this event. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, that presence that Alex has been talking about already this morning. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So we want to look at what do we learn from this passage about Jesus, and what do we learn about his mission? We have several clues here. One of the, the clues is the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. The other set of clues are these two names. Now, Matthew mentions the title Messiah, but he mentions that as he's introducing this. But in the context, Joseph knew two names, Jesus and Emmanuel. So let's take a look at the circumstances surrounding his birth. Now, despite the song, the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth had nothing to do with and no crying he made. All right, we have to understand Jesus was not an unusual baby. He didn't not ever soil his diapers. And if he did, he got up and changed them himself, took care of cleaning everything up, and then prayed for his mother and father that they would have a good night's sleep. He was a regular baby like everyone else. But there are some really interesting things surrounding his birth. Number one, there is a connection between Genesis 1 and Matthew 1. We read here, this is the genesis of Jesus. And of course, in Genesis chapter 1, we see the genesis or the beginning of the whole universe. How was creation uh, made? The Holy Spirit hovered over creation and it all came to be. How did Mary become pregnant? The Holy Spirit hovered over Mary, and now we have this brand new creation that starts with the person of Jesus. We have the virgin birth. Now, if you know, if you have trouble, your friends have trouble believing the virgin birth, there's a quote from an Australian scientist who put it this way. Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus, Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the entire universe. Choose your miracle. Once we believe in God, anything's possible. So for there to be a baby born without a father, that's nothing. But an entire universe created without anything at all, that's something. But we'll move on. There is the fulfilled prophecy. 735 years before, there's a prophecy that there would be a baby born of a virgin. Someone said that if you took the entire state of Texas and covered it with half dollars, a foot high, and then you were able to take a blindfolded person and the first coin that they picked out of all those coins was the one that you marked. The chances of that happen are the same as the chances of just eight of the prophecies about Jesus being fulfilled. And this is one of those prophecies. I don't know how they figured that math out. It's too much for me. But 
Imagine something taking place 735 years after it was prophesied. And of course, we have visits from angels, for Mary and for Joseph, making sure that the plan is fulfilled. What does that tell us about Jesus? Well, we know all kinds of things that we've learned from later on, but what would, did Jesus and Mary know? I mean, what did Joseph and Mary know? Jesus is unique. There is something special going on here. What else do we know? This, if this is prophesied 735 years before, Jesus isn't an afterthought. God did not in the first century say, wow, these people are just getting worse and worse. What are we going to do? We're going to have to find some plan to work this whole thing out. No, this was planned from before the creation of time. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 20 read, For we know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. This was God's plan all along. He starts to unveil it 700 and some years before, but it was always his plan. Revelation 13, 8 says, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. God is eternal and he lives in all time. We live in just our moments. So Jesus was actually crucified in the mind of God before the whole world even started. God prepared the cure for our disease before we allowed it into our life and into our world. And we know that Jesus has a special purpose. Some of that purpose is identified in our next set of clues, the names. What are these two names? Jesus, found in verses 18 and 21, and Emmanuel, found in verse 23. Jesus is the Greek form of the word Joshua, or Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. Now remember your history. The Jews at that time, they wanted saving, but they wanted saving from the Romans. We need a military leader to come in here, kick out the Romans, and once again, we can be the glorious nation that we were under David and Solomon. But we read in verse 21, why will his name be Jesus? Why will his name be Yeshua? Because he will save the people, not from the Romans, he will save the people from their sins. In our postmodern materialistic world, we try to explain away sin. In a modern church, we're afraid to talk about sin because we're afraid that we might appear judgmental or insensitive, and many times we have appeared both. But deep down, we know that sin is the real enemy that we deal with, and it is behind everything that we despise in this world. Jesus didn't come to free people from the Romans. He came to free not just the Jews, but all of us from the power of sin. He was a freedom fighter, but it was for a greater and a deeper cause. The next name is Emmanuel that we see in verse 23. It means God with us in Hebrew, or literally it means with us is God. Now, God had said he was going to be with the Israelites 
for generations and generations. But this, the Old Testament with us is way different than this with us. God walked beside Adam and Eve. He walked before the Israelites as a pillar of fire and a, and a, a cloud. But this is something different. This is being with us is being one of us. We sang a little bit about it today. Try to spend some time this week meditating on the cost of going from being the beloved son, God the beloved son, to being a human being. And how did Jesus come? He didn't come fully grown. He came as a baby. The scripture tells us that Jesus learned. How can you be the, the infinite, omniscient God, and then you come and you learn? He learned the human experience. Back in the old days, when there were two countries that were having some difficulty with each other, and they both kind of needed each other, one of the tricks that they would use is, Let's take our son, the prince, and marry him to that country's daughter, the princess, and now we're family. So we probably don't have to worry about them invading us because we share the same grandkids. Look at what, Jesus, what God did for us with Jesus. How much do I care about you? I'm not going to send a committee. I'm not going to send a plan. I am going to be one of you. What if the church did that even on a human level instead of critiquing and criticizing those we don't understand? Walking in their footsteps, walking in their shoes. But this is even more than walking a mile in someone's shoes. This is living a lifetime in their skin. There was one time in my ministry that I was very, very frustrated with God. And I was, as I would do sometimes, nobody else was around. I'd lock the church, and I'd walk back and forth through the pews, and I would yell. And this one time I yelled. I said, God, you don't understand. You're up there. You're not one of us. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. It was, he didn't say this, but it was as if he said, bruh. Don't you remember Jesus? You're a minister. Don't you remember? I was one of you. I walked among you. I went through everything you went through. I know what it's like to be you. Isn't that amazing? All other gods want us to serve them. Our God said, if y'all can't get it right, let me come down and show you how to do it. I'll come down and be one of you, and I'll walk you through this. Imagine what that is. I, I cannot fathom what it was like to be forever and to all of a sudden be a baby and grow and learn the human experience and walk around with us knuckleheads and teach us how to do it right. I don't know if any of you ever remember the song that June Osborne sang. What if God was one of us? He was. He was. And that answer to the human complaint you don't understand is, yes, I do. Hebrews chapter 4.15 says, 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Our problem is our religious leaders often know exactly what it's like to be tempted, know exactly what it's like to sin, and still don't have any compassion for anyone else. Jesus came, walked among us, didn't sin, but knew what it was like. He understands the struggle. So when you go to him in prayer, when you're wrestling with a fear, you're wrestling with an anxiety, you're wrestling with pain, you're wrestling with hurt, you're wrestling with sin, he knows. He understands. One of the worst things you can have when you're experiencing something difficult is to look around and say, there's no one that understands. I don't have anyone I can talk to. And we are not in that situation at all. He is with us. And Jesus promised to always be with us. After he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 20, what did he say? And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And then he left. <laughs> and that used to bother me. Don't worry, I'm with you forever. See ya. But remember what he taught his disciples in John 15. But verily I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the God who was out there came to be God with us and live among us. But Jesus' promise is that when he returned, he sent God the Holy Spirit to be in us. So every single one of us, no matter where we are, we don't have to find Jesus. I don't have to climb up a tree like Zacchaeus. I don't have to work my way through a crowd and barely touch his, his cloak like the woman. He is with me everywhere I go. 24 hours a day. There's no time that he needs to sleep like he did. 24 hours a day, I carry Jesus with me. I carry the Spirit of God with me every where I go. The wisdom of God, the power of God, the heart of God is with me in every situation I walk into. Now, often I get in the way of that. I do. I don't know about you, but I often get in the way of it. I've had times where I'm in a situation and I even sense that spirit telling me, you don't want to go there. And then I make a calculation. I'm going anyway. But if I would just get out of the way, the spirit of God who created the universe, who created a baby with no father, can create situations and circumstances and openings and opportunities in my life and in the lives of those around me. Now, how does that express itself? It expresses itself in two main ways according to the New Testament the development of our character, the fruit of the Spirit, the natural result of the Spirit in me is that I, my character develops. Love, peace, joy, patience, those things develop in me. Just a natural result. Now, it's fruit. I'm a gardener because I'm from New Jersey. But you know if you've ever picked fruit or if you know anything about it, it takes time. It needs to be cultivated. It takes time. But it's coming. 
Take a look at your life. We're coming to a new year. Has your Christian character developed more than it was a year ago? Don't compare yourself with yesterday. But last year, how you doing? If you look at that and you say, I'm not doing too well, don't feel guilty. Feel challenged. I got a new year coming up. I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do his thing. So character development. Number two is giftings. Each one of us has gifts that God has given us to help to change the world. Why have one Jesus roaming around the earth when he can have three million of us roaming around the earth? That's the plan. But I don't have all the gifts. Trust me, if I led worship, the phone would have melted. Y'all would have all been outside in your cars. But each of us have gifts. And if we take those gifts and we join them in community, that's what this church is all about. You're taking your character and your gifts and your love for the Lord and you're joining it in community so you can change the area in which you live. This is what it means for God to be with us. So how do we apply some of this? Number one. The unprecedented and unparalleled circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth demand a response. If even half of what we talked about is true, you got to take a look at him and say, is this for real? Did God send someone to save us? If you've never taken the time to work that out, now is the time to do that. Start that search. If you've done, if you've already decided, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, is the pace at which you follow, does it line up with what God did to reach out to you? Number two, Jesus came to save us from our sins. So are you exercising and enjoying that freedom? Now, please don't get some old church PTSD like he's telling me how bad I am. You know that you couldn't be saved without Jesus. That's why you came to him. But your need for him and your victory over sin has not changed. Jesus didn't give you an initial victory and then you have to work it all the rest of it out on your own. I needed Jesus the moment I kneeled down and told him, I need you to wash away my sins and I need him every day to deal with my sins. Before God, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. My, my life has been clean before him. But I know what I'm really like. My wife knows what I'm really like, which is why she does not have a microphone right now. I know what I'm really like. I know what I struggle with. I know what I deal with. I know what I'm capable of. And so does God. And he knew that way at the moment when he saved me. But if he came to give me victory over sin, I want to enjoy all of that victory. Are there areas of our lives that the gospel has not yet shined its light into? Let's make the choice to open those areas up. God, take more ground in my life. I offer it to you. 
I'm not suggesting that you try harder. We were saved by grace, and every victory you have is going to come by grace. But I need Jesus just as much to find victory over sin today as I did the moment that I followed him. And third, in Emmanuel, God initiated an intimate covenant and relationship with mankind through Jesus. His promise was to be with us. I know that he's walked as a human being and understands my pain, understands my struggles. I know that he promised that once I give my life to him, that the Holy Spirit would indwell with him and he would be with me forever. Am I walking in my days like Jesus is walking with me forever? Like he is with me. Now I want you not to focus on some kind of critical reflection, but on Christ reflecting. If he's in you, just get out of the way. Let him do what he will do. Focus on grace and focus on the opportunities that he will open up before you if you allow the God within to shine outside. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we celebrate this incredible season where the king of the universe came to us as a baby, visited us, lived among us, showed us how to live, taught us about you, helped us to understand the truth that would set us free from ourselves, from sin, from the enemy. Father, we pray that we would embrace Jesus as the one who saves us from our sins, that we would embrace Emmanuel as the one whose presence is constantly with us. I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us to be more conscious of your presence, more sensitive to it and to its direction. In Jesus' name, amen.